Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for another edition of the podcast. It's just myself, Lewis and Alex here today. We had to move things around, which is why the pod is coming to you uh, a day later. And unfortunately, it means James can't make it. But with that all being said, it's going to be a very happy pod today as we come to you off the back of sale, beating Exeter 28 points to 20 at the AJ Bell on Saturday uh, to continue their perfect start to the season. Uh, Alex, uh, how's it going? Any gripes with national newspaper reporting on sale to report? Or <laughs> oh, It just made me laugh, but no. For those of you who haven't seen, I put a tweet out the other day. of the uh, Someone pointed it out to me, and now I can't stop noticing it, that um, sale headlines are notoriously pro the other team and anti-us. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it's it's something we're going to have to live with. I quite like it. As long as we keep going under radar, that's fine with me. But um, no, yeah, no gripes, really. Can't can't complain at five wins out of five and nearly top of the league if it weren't for not quite getting the bonus point. Um, but yeah, a very, very happy man. How are you? Uh, likewise, very pleased. Um, I believe uh, it, it's the first time in five games that Sale have managed to get one up over Exeter, and it really kind of builds on this sense of I, w- I don't want to say optimism because it's 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 not unfounded, but encouragement in terms of where Sale are at at the moment and the start of the season. We we talked so much about getting off to a quick start. And we saw that by, you know, beating teams that realistically we should have beaten, you know, Bath, Northampton at home, etc. But this feels like a bit of a statement win. And it means that all that kind of early season form and uh, momentum we've built up has almost been vindicated in a, in a sense by being able to beat a team that is going to be up there at the business end of the season competing with us for, for the top four. So I guess let, let's start there, Alex. You were there, obviously, on, on Saturday in the stadium. Um, and obviously a bit of a slow start for Sale. Maybe we'll go, we'll, 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 we'll sort of cut it into two halves, this game, because um, it was quite reflective of Sale's performance. In the first half, Sale were actually under the cosh for most of it, and Exeter sort of dominated proceedings. And it was only a... Uh, a try towards the end of that first half, which got Sale back to, to an even pegging. Um, but from your perspective, what, what was it that was going right for Exeter in that first half that led them to have such strong dominance uh, over over Sale? I think there were a few things. I think we were... Our discipline was pretty poor again. Um, and I think that was partly forced by Exeter and partly from our own sort of volition of giving away penalties and and it was the pressure of Exeter having relentless, um, relentless ball, basically. Um, you know, they just they recycled every breakdown and they kept hold of the ball and they kept running at us. And they weren't going anywhere. They weren't incisive. They were running side to side. But every breakdown, they retained the ball and carried on. And, you know, it was, it was quite impressive to watch. And it was quite impressive to watch our defence at the same time. But what it meant was that eventually just accumulation of pressure, you know, someone made a slight error that gave away a penalty, you know, get trapped on the wrong side. And it, it wasn't what it has been in previous seasons, which is stupid penalties and, you know, thoughtless penalties. It was just penalties sustained from pressure. And actually, and I haven't watched the game back, but it felt like a lot of the 50-50s went Exeter's way in the stadium. And this might be completely wrong. So people who've... Uh, watched it on telly can um, tweet me and tell me I'm a one-eyed sale fan, which I am. Um, but, you know, 
it just felt like every 50-50 went Exeter's way. And, you, and we never really got the momentum to get ourselves in the game. But through virtue of having a really good defence, we held on such that when we got to the point where we could get ourselves back in the game, we weren't 20 points adrift. We were seven points adrift. So I think that that's what went really well for Exeter. And it just took us some time to grow into it. But once we kind of flipped that on its head, the, we were the better team, I think, for the majority of the game in that we made less errors. We looked way more incisive in attack, I think. And we had proper sustained pressure. Whereas Exeter had, you know, good passages of play. But I think a lot of their tries came from our errors. You know, we gave away a penalty and they got a line out five metres out from the corner, which I'm not sure whether it actually went out above before or after the try line but that's a separate conversation and they you know they roll that over um their second try when Maunder goes through you know we just kind of switched off we'd only just scored some points we came back and they just hit right back at us and, and there was a big gap in the defense you know it just felt that they had to work really really hard and wait for us to slip up to score whereas we could genuinely move them around the pitch and create opportunities and, and score tries and build pressure so yeah I think it was a it, as you say it was a bit of a weird game of two halves and it was sort of that gradually growing into it and as we wound down those penalties we definitely became more and more dominant and and I think whether those penalties were our issue or you know a kind of the ref's interpretation of our play issue which obviously we should play to the refs I'm not complaining about that um we, did, we worked on it, we got better, and we gave way, way less penalties in the second half, which meant that we could build up the momentum and, and start scoring the tries. So I think that's the really encouraging bit, that you know our discipline is still not great, but we're seeing ourselves learning games now, which we never used to. It was, you know, if we we're having a bad game penalty-wise, that was it. Um, so yeah, it, really, really encouraging on that front, and hopefully it's something that we see continuing the rest of the season. I genuinely think we were the better team, despite what newspaper headlines say. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's an interesting observa- observation you've made about the perception of sale in the in the media um, and whether or not we're getting full credit for, for our performances. But it, it is interesting. You mentioned, you know, penalties and ref interpretations, etc. 25 penalties in this game, 13 for sale, 12 for, for Exeter. The, the ref had his whistle out um, and was, you know, had a had a big impact. It was Wayne Barnes. He's widely considered to be the best referee, you know, going, which is fair enough. If there are, you know, uh, penalties or or uh, you know errors being made, it's perfectly reasonable for there to be plenty of stoppages in play. But ultimately, that kind of feels like it, it really kind of led to a bit of a scattered first half and one where it is difficult to, to get a lot of momentum. But in the second half, even if the penalties didn't necessarily abate, the game started to change a little bit. Sales score 18 points to Exeter's 10 in that second half, two tries to one. And I guess it's probably the same question to you again, Alex, which is, you know, what, what kind of started to change from a sale perspective in that second half that, that allowed us to actually build a lead over Exeter and, and really sort of start to turn the screw and, and ultimately come away with, you know, four points and, and nothing for the Chiefs? Yeah, I think we just delivered on that promise we showed in the first half. And it, the mentality this season has really impressed me because, you know, we this game, it was a really tough test against very good opposition. It was a really physical game. 
And what we did in that second half is every time Exeter ran at us, when they'd run at us in the first half, obviously they had a lot more energy and they were kind of, you know, running into us and there was a decent collision and kind of, you know, they wouldn't go forward, but we wouldn't push them backwards. In that second half, a lot of the time they ran into us, that was when the big hits came and we were really hitting them backwards and they were going, you know, two feet backwards, three feet backwards as we, our defence sort of built. And I said at the end of the first half, there was, towards the end of the first half anyway, there was a move where we were kind of throwing it out the back and, and we nearly created a gap. And Exton's defence was just really on it. Um, came up, stopped the player who had the ball, might have been Roebuck um, or someone else. And, you know, the, it was a could have been a three-on-one if, you know, the runner was two seconds quicker or the pass goes two seconds earlier. Um, but it wasn't. And it ended up going back for a penalty advantage. But I was saying, you know, when Exeter tire in the second half, as they will, because they've been running into us all game, those gaps will open up. And I think that's what happened. You know, we genuinely earned the right to attack in that second half through the intensity of the first half. And we soaked up all that Exeter pressure. And you know when a team comes away from home, they're going to be pumped up for the first 30 and they're going to come out after half time for the first 10. And what we did really well is just, you know, we Exeter were all over us for the first probably 20 minutes of this game. We barely had any ball. Um, I'd be interested to see the possession stats kind of for the first 20 or the first half because honestly we were about 15 minutes into the game and I said I don't think we've had the ball in hand yet other than booting it out of our 22 once it was just extra attack, extra attack, extra attack, penalty, repeat um, so and I think but by soaking up that pressure and keeping ourselves in the game we actually tied extra to a point that when we came to attack in that second half spaces were opening up on the field and our attack this season genuinely does create gaps. And, and I think it's a big compliment to Paul Deacon, who has had a lot of critics over the last few years, that, you know, obviously we're not going to break extra apart in the first five minutes of a game. We're not Quins. We're not going to just throw the ball around and pace or just beat them. And no one really does that to Exeter either. But when it comes to 60 minutes in and there's gaps appearing in the defence, we are picking them really well. Um, so I think... You know, that attacking structure is working really well and we earned that right to, to basically create those gaps and score tries. Um, there was one move with the Curries that we did quite a lot where we'd have, you know, one heavy runner and then a Curry outside them and then a back sort of sitting out the back. And about four or five times, the flat ball went to either Tom or Ben and they punched through the line and they, you know, they made probably three or four breaks. But it's a really, it's just a, the structure, knowing that, yes, you have a sort of a Bevan Rod, say, inside them to hold the defence, a whoever's at 12, Hill or Tirolangi running out the back to draw the defence out, and that creates a gap, but then you've got a really dynamic runner, and I think those attacking structures are looking really, really exciting this season, and it's 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 paying dividends and giving us momentum, and then we are scoring the tries afterwards. Uh, just on that, two clean breaks on the day for Tom Corey. Um and two defenders beaten for Tom Curry with uh, with Ben Curry also having a defender beaten. So that point you made about making breaks and actually getting over the game line is better for the numbers. Thanks very much, mate. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is true. I think we are seeing that we can manipulate defences now. And we and, and that's, the, that's fundamentally the difference for me. Um, Rob's kicking was kind of... We said last week against Bath that Rob's kicking basically won us the game in effect, um, but has been really good. His kicking this week was was okay. There was some really good ones, and then somewhere it just the ones he missed were never ever going close. Um, 
There's one that hit the post, I think, at the end of the first half. But two of the conversions, he just basically slipped and they were going absolutely nowhere near. So, you know, that's a slight difference. But we are just scoring tries. And, you know, every game we've been within a try bonus point at the end of the game. And we've either converted it, like we did against Bath, or we didn't quite convert it this week. But extra are a really tough side to score points against. And we didn't give them a losing bonus point. So... Points difference-wise, this game is the same as Northampton. We're plus four on the opposition. Um, so I just think there's there's a lot to be excited about and we'll keep talking about it. But I'm so impressed with the way we are responding to things in games and the way we're attacking is just such an improvement on last season. And we're built, the defence is still as good. So let's go to some three-word reviews then, because you said there's there's lots of really real positives to talk about there, and we'll we'll see what our listeners have have made of that. Um, Phil Hart, hog knocks on, very funny at the end of the the first half. With the if you haven't seen it, go and watch the replay. Stuart Hogg catches the ball to kick it out at the end of the first half and drops it in his uh, in his own uh, in, uh, behind his own try line. Which, when you consider it, is is just just very funny, and I can't do it justice. Uh, Richard Lilly did defence wins championships. Uh, Libby Lomas, uh, absolutely fucking brilliant. Uh, Hugo Scott, academy coming good. Uh, Brad as the boat. Sharks out muscle chiefs. Uh, Jess March, fan bloody tastic. Uh, Rob Manley, winning builds confidence. Uh, Nicholas Waite, very popular one. This one Carpenter nailed it. Obviously, Joe Carpenter making his premiership debut at 15 for sale on, on the weekend. Uh, John Capel, Copus Visa, Colossus. Uh, and lastly, uh, Phil Bramley sums it up with OMG. So, Alex, there was one name on uh, a lot of people's minds uh, in the run-up to the game after the team was announced. And that was Joe Carpenter, who obviously, like I said, made his starting uh, or full Premiership debut at 15. Um, we, we did wonder when we spoke about uh, the Premiership Rugby Cup games why he wasn't picked for that second one uh, earlier in the week, and now we obviously have the answer. Um, what did you make of, of Carpenter's debut? Because he's obviously a talent we've been talking about a lot as a potential long-term answer at 15 in a way that Luke James maybe isn't. Carpenter is an out-and-out fullback, whereas Luke James is a kind of hybrid of a multiple positions. What did you make of, of Carpenter's debut for sale then? And uh, has, has the hype from certain podcasts been justified? Our hype is always justified. Let's just get that clear. Um, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. So I've watched Joe Carpenter for sale FC a couple of times and I've been really impressed with his pace and his sort of running ability, basically. What I hadn't appreciated when I've watched him, and maybe it's because this isn't quite tested as much in that one level, is his ability under the high ball is absolutely spectacular. It is, he, he looks so solid for someone so inexperienced at this level, um, which I don't think, not in a, you know, I don't think that's an unfair way to say it. Um, he just looked so calm under it, reliable. He was really getting up in the air well, um, sort of dominating that space in the air which you see the really good fullbacks do. Um, the, the prime example is Freddie Stewart, and, and Joe Carpenter isn't quite at Freddie Stewart levels yet, uh, partly in stature and height and, and build, but also just in experience as well. But I think it's that style of, you know, right up in the air, way above everyone else, and, and 
taking the ball pretty comfortably in the air. But also, when people competed with him, he was just, it's the bravery, I think, as well, to go up in the air and claim that ball. So that was superb. Um, that was really, really impressive. And to be honest, he had quite a quiet first half, I thought. But there were a couple of kicks where, you know, he just claimed them, looked really solid. Then in the second half was sort of when he came alive. Um, obviously, as we got more into the game, it helped. But there was one jackal turnover, which was absolutely spectacular. Um, it was right it was right in front of where we were sitting, actually. And he just, you know, the tackle, tackle player went down. He was straight over it. No one was moving him. Um, Barnes gave the penalty straight away. You know, it was just brilliant. And to see the kind of the reaction from the other players that, that came in was really, really good as well. You know, all really happy for him. And then shortly after, obviously, he gets that try, which, again, was just... It's that holding that width that I think we are quite... Our wingers are quite good at. And it's clearly something that I think when you look at, you know, the the way we stretch defences and, and hold them in the middle, the pass from Gus War is brilliant to find him. But it's sort of almost a hangover of what Faf used to do, isn't it? And it's probably something that has been built from that. That there's that big flinging ball out to the to the wide point. But you know, took the try very well. Obviously, um, not that much to do, but just calm head in that moment and, and and score it. I just think he looked so solid in every other area of the game. There wasn't a you know, Exeter have got a very good kick chase. Um, it's probably got a bit worse without Tommy Flaherty, but. He's still a very good kick chaser, and naturally a good team, and and he just looks so solid. And it could have been an area of weakness for for Sale on on the day if Exeter had kind of you know put the first one up and Carpenter had spilled it or a bit of nerves. It just wasn't, and and I think that's the biggest compliment that he looked completely at home in Premiership rugby from kind of minute one, really. Um, and it's really encouraging for Sale fans that it's it's absolutely gutting news about Luke James being out for so long, but to have a player of who looks that good on his premiership debut come through and make no bones about it. It's not going to be that easy all the time, is it? You know, he's going to have tougher games. We're going into a winter that is going to be really, really tough. But there's such a good start for him, this, that, you know, I think we it'll hopefully allow him that trust and time that he, he'll go through those cycles of he might have a good performance, he might have a, a subpar performance, but he's shown that this level is absolutely no problem for him. And I think that's the biggest kind of positive out of this game from a sale point of view, because our long-term fullback options now is sort of look like Luke James and Joe Carpenter. They're both young. They're both really, really solid. Carpenter is really exciting pace-wise. Luke James has got rugby ability coming out of his ears so I just think it's very very exciting as a sale fan not only that we're three from three in the premiership we're five from five in all competitions but we've found another incredible young fullback who you know will hopefully go on and become a sale a proper premiership sale player and and who knows what they're after so yeah and and a massive shout out to obviously um Yorkshire Academy who we picked Joe Carpenter up off um you know it's just there's a wider conversation here about a talent in the north, but it's really good for sale that we've got such a wide base to bring in. And, and it's a good spot by us, I think, two years ago or three years ago, whenever we picked him up, to bring him in. And and, and he's clearly developed really well. I was going to say, I'm glad you mentioned the the, the Leeds or, or, or Yorkshire thing for, for Carpenter, because it, it sounds very silly and, and to be honest, a bit reductive, but 
in the last sort of five years since that disaster, well, I mean, 10 years probably, since that disastrous Yorkshire Carnegie rebranding, you know, from from where they were as Leeds Tykes and, and Leeds Carnegie, um, there is still been t- plenty of talent developed in that Yorkshire region. You look at players like Lewis Boyce and Jack Walker who've got on to play, uh, you know, as, as you know, uh, premiership starting quality players. Um, but it has always felt that that's an area where we've we've maybe not picked up as much talent as, as we could, given our natural advantage being so close to it. And you look at the academy products who've come through and and so many of them are obviously in the in the northwest and going up to Cumbria. But it did always feel every time you see a, a Lewis Boyce go down to Bath, for example, you, you sort of wonder how how are we not maybe more in on those, those sort of players? And and you see Carpenter. He's obviously played age-grade rugby for England. He's obviously a very highly talented prospect. But to have him on your books now, it's hard not to look at the, the sort of Freddie Stewart comparison, maybe not from a playing style or, or even a, a ceiling or floor perspective, but think actually Leicester have their fullback for the next 10 years now in, in Stewart. He looks, you know, he's going to play, you know, 100 games for England. That's that position sorted. When we've been looking at sale from the bigger picture perspective, where can this team be in two years, three years, five years, 10 years? That 15 spot has always been uh, a bit of a question mark um, in a way that it isn't now if we can see Carpenter sort of kick on and, and make a strong run of it. And obviously there is never going to be a better time for him with Luke James being out for, uh, you know, for a long time with, with his injury. So we you know we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but you can see why as a podcast and why sale fans, it's so easy to be excited about someone like Carpenter because actually if he hits, that's a 15 you can have in your team for 10 years, 15 years. And, and it really sort of, you know, become probably what this club needs, which is a, a homegrown superstar in the way that the Curries are and in a way that we don't necessarily have in the back line just yet um, versus, you know, when we had De Klerk, for example, or even Manu to Alangi, who are obviously joined the club elsewhere. Um, one other player who's come through the academy, and another one that I really want to spotlight here, though, is uh, Gus War, who uh, he, we, we had a few mentions of this in the three word reviews, but he's really running away with that number nine shirt for the moment. And I guess the question for you, Alex, is when, when Rafi Quirk comes back and you look at the, the body of work that Gus War is putting together with another fantastic performance on, on Saturday. Who, who do you who do you start at scrum half? I think you've got to start Gus War on the basis that he's he's in the shirt and it's for Rafi to come off the bench and, and and take it off him. And I think, listen, that's no bad thing to have Rafi coming off at 50, 60 minutes to bring it, especially with his pace and, and kind of dynamism. There'll there'll be so much space on the pitch for him. Um, he's good enough to start. We all know that, but this really is Gus War Gus War's shirt at the moment. And what's what's been impressive is. A, his relationship with Rob Dupree, which is really good. Um, they've really seemed to have built an understanding. Um, but also, you know, didn't have the best first half on Saturday. And again, he he grew into the game almost and, and continued to, you know, that moment of magic in effect with for that Joe Carpenter try, which is the difference. You know, things like that. Maybe we would have scored it elsewhere, but it's that is a really incisive bit of play that creates a, just a guaranteed chance for Joe Carpenter to run over in the in the middle in the in the wing on the wing. Sorry, um, so I think that's the exciting thing that he's doing that. But also his box kicking was really good. His distribution 
was okay. It's been way better this season. I, I think his passing was a bit. Um, there was some way you were thinking, oh, how have they held on to that? But just the speed of play he brings to the game is is really really good, and it's it seems to be everyone working in tandem, and it's not. I was saying, I think genuinely, without Faf, you are seeing a lot of other people step up to the plate in terms of creating chances, in terms of running the game and managing the team around the field. We just look a bit more cohesive because we're not. Everyone's not sat there going, "What's Faf going to do, and how do we make that even better?" It's more. Right, we know Gus is going to do this. He's going to get to the ball really quickly. He's going to fire it out. So we need to be ready for it. And I think that role is really important because the continuity of our attack is is so much better now than it ever really has been because of that. You know, he's getting to the ball and he's just firing it out and just going at speed out into the wide channels where we can threaten. So um, honestly, I think he's been a bit of a revelation this season. I mean, he genuinely has taken the chance with both hands. And it is Rafi's shirt to win back. You know, no one's... He is the best fit scrum up we've got at the club at the moment, definitely. And with Rafi coming back, he is he is the number one, isn't he? In that vein, until someone else proves otherwise. Um, but what a great problem to have. And again, you're right, it's another academy product who has, um, who has been superb. I was looking at... Someone tweeted that I think Northampton had nine academy products in their starting lineup on... Um, Sunday. Well, Sale had seven, and you know they were bloody superb to a man. You know we we haven't talked about Tom Robert barely gets mentioned. He had a superb game. He looks like he should be playing for England. Um, as we said, Gus War at nine, Joe Carpenter at fifteen. You you barely mention the Curries anymore because it feels like they're first team players. You know this is a this conveyor belt is not stopping anytime soon, is it? And and I think that's the exciting thing that people just keep stepping up. And Gus War was someone who maybe two years ago we thought, is he gonna is he gonna make that transition and that step up? We know he's got the talent, but can he do it with the kind of pressure of having a faff above you and, and Rafi coming through below him? Well, he's absolutely proven that he can. And um yeah, it's it's great to have that competition and that challenge laid down to Rafi. It's very similar to the fifteen position. Two great academy players fight it out and and the better one of you will start, but what a great position for Alex Sanderson to be in. Yeah, well, there's two things actually I'm really glad you mentioned. The first is actually just on Gus War, which I'm just having a look at his stats. And I also want to take this as an opportunity to shout out all.rugby um, as, a, as a website and resource who have done, in, in my opinion, the best job of any website in terms of aggregating and collecting stats on, on players. I'm looking at Gus War's page on that website. Um, I didn't realise actually he's he's coming up to the half century mark for appearances in a cell shirt uh, as of next week. Uh, Thirty two in the Premiership, nine in the Premier Rugby Cup, um, and then eight in the Champions Cup as well. But just a really good example of a player who's actually been on the radar for a couple of years. You know he was uh, you know he was involved in the squad around the same time as uh, people like Matt Sturges, who obviously never kind of kicked on to to, to become first team players at, at Sale at least. Um, but you know, Gus War very slowly year over year is really starting to build up his um, his experience with Sale, and and it, it's again just a testament that even a player like Gus War, who maybe it's taken a little bit longer to get that opportunity, is now already close to reaching the you know the fifty cap mark uh, after twenty three years. Uh, sorry, as a, as only a, a twenty three 
year old player. So just a really interesting, you know, sort of note there. And and obviously by the time that we get through this season, you you have to imagine he's going to be up at the seventy or eighty cap mark for sale. Um, and and also just very briefly on the Curries, uh, you know, we obviously spoke about it last week about whether or not you actually deploy both of them for the first time in a starting lineup. And obviously that is something we did on on Saturday. We saw it have a really strong impact um, on on how sale play. Both of them have, are, are obviously fantastic ball carriers, but they're, they're also versatile in their skill set in the ability to uh, to act as link players as well. And actually against, you know, on top of everything else, the defence, the breakdown work, we, we just sort of have a really strong effect on nullifying the, the Exeter back line. You know, Kirsten Vermeule and Sam Simmons didn't really get a look in in the game. And a big part of that was because you had those two kind of all-around players at six and seven versus running the two Dupree twins and and the and the single Curry brother, where the, the strengths and weaknesses are a little bit different, and I think that just speaks to a little bit of additional flexibility from the cell coaching staff, which we're seeing because of how much depth we're building in the team. John Ross gets fifteen to twenty minutes now uh, uh, a game. The Dupree, one of the Dupree twins, you know, comes off the bench. We, we've got Cobus Visa, who had a fantastic game and is really starting to come into his own in the the second row with Johnny Hill. We, we know we didn't see much of this last year because of injuries playing an impact, but now that we're we're in a position where we've got, I, I you know, by my count, seven or eight first class. Um, second and back rowers and we're actually seeing the coaching staff use them in, in interesting ways to nullify specific threats and we, I think we saw the best example of that on Saturday against Exeter um, before we move on uh, to preview uh, sales next game Alex is there anything else you want to shout out from uh, from Saturday's game I think we've got a shout out Rob Dupree again um, he's just making that 10 shirt his own at the moment. And we talked about Rafi coming back in. Same for George Ford at the moment. And, they, you know, it's very exciting to have that competition in, amongst the squad. I mentioned it briefly before, but Tom Roebuck had another superb game. He's just so physical as a runner, fast and and a threat. You know, teams just seem to not really know what to do with him. And um, he makes breaks actually quite often in games or half breaks and, really gives us that momentum to carry over the game line. So I thought he had a, another really impressive game. Um, and as you, you mentioned, I think that depth is just, we've, we've gone on about it more than we probably should have. But again, you bring in Jean-Luc Dupreo off the bench with 20 minutes to go or whatever it is. If you're Exeter, you're thinking you've just been battered in attack. Every time you try to run through the defence, you've been hit back. You're thinking, right, okay, there's finally get to the end of the game, but space is going to open up. And then Jean-Luc Freer comes on. You'd just be gutted, wouldn't you? Which is great as a sale fan. You know, I'm just, what a player to bring off the bench. You know, probably one of our best players in the last couple of years and, and definitely one of our most physical. Um, to come and continue that momentum is, is really, really good. So, no, it's, it's really exciting just to see the whole the way everything's coming together. Sam Hill on the bench as well, which is good to see him coming through and getting some minutes um, coming on for Manu. I think we're managing Manu really well. Obviously, he's going off with England, which probably means that he's going to get broken by the England squad, but we're doing all we can. Um, So, yeah, it's just, I think, it's that squad depth, which is probably the theme of the week, isn't it? If you're looking at anything from this Exeter game, it's 
the the discipline is still a bit of an issue, but we kind of sorted it out in the second half. The attack is really strong. The defence is really strong. But underpinning all of those things, underpinning the fact that we can improve our discipline and keep our stamina, underpinning the strong attack and underpinning the fact that the defence is just so mean and, and it continues that for 80 minutes, is the fact that in nearly every position, we've got challenges, we've got people coming through and saying, if you don't perform... I'm going to take your shirt off you. Um, and so in some cases, that's players like Joe Simpson to Gus War saying, you know, I'm an experienced player. If you mess up, then here I am, a, the reliable old hand. But it's also those injured players that can still be a sort of threat to your position in the George Fords, the Rafi Quirks. Um, so I think that squad depth has just got to be the theme of the week for me. And, and it's really exciting to see how how Alex Sanderson has built this squad into something that not only can compete with the front 50, with the, you know the top 15 players or the top 23 players but actually the full 35 player squad is looking like premiership quality from kind of from top to bottom with but in the way you would expect that there's some players who are young and inexperienced who will come on and get gradual game time through the season there's some proven premiership performance there's some international quality. So I think that's just the, the best thing about the weekend for me. Um, and long may it continue. Long may we be bringing the pace of Aaron Reed, the physicality of Jean-Luc off the bench um, with 20 minutes to go because it'll just terrify teams. Um, and it's another another big test against Leicester this week who I think this is, you know, we talked about Exeter being the, a big test. We're now going away to the champions. Well, you know, there's an opportunity to make a statement here and they are, I think, based on their performances so far, there for the taking for us. Yeah, well, obviously no James this week, so uh, preview duties fall to me, but Alex has already started to set it up. It's been a interesting start to the season for, for Leicester, who, of course, are the reigning champions. They, they went on that meteoric rise over the last couple of years under the steward, stewardship of Steve Borthwick, ultimately winning the competition uh, last summer. Um, but it's been a bit of a, a rocks and diamonds start to the year for Leicester, who sit uh, in seventh place in the table as it stands, with uh, with four games played so far, having won two uh, and lost two. Interestingly, their points difference, 115-4, 117-against, which really speaks to the up-and-down nature of the start of the season. So just to give you uh, some examples here, these are Leicester's first four games in the Premiership so far this season. Uh, a narrow 24-20 loss uh, away at Exeter to start the season. Uh, a 36-21 thumping of Newcastle at home in their second game. They then back that up with a, a significant win in the East Midlands derby, winning 41 points to 21 uh, away at Northampton. And then they followed that up this weekend with a 51 points to 18 loss to Saracens. Uh, if that doesn't speak to up and down, I really don't know what else does. And it is interesting because, you know, this Leicester team has undergone some significant changes since the summer. If, if, if I may, I'd actually wager that there is no team... Uh, in the league that has lost quite as much quality or depth as, as Leicester have this year. And, and that speaks to their two headline departures uh, from, from last season. George Ford, who was 
the Premiership Player of the Year last year, or at least one of the one of the Players of the Year moving back home to join Sale, even if we haven't necessarily seen him yet. But they've also lost Ellis Genge, you know, to to Bristol. Uh, Matthias, uh, which is obviously a, a massive loss given the, the sort of world class form he's rounded into. But they've also lost, you know, Matthias Moroni's gone to to uh, up to Newcastle. Uh, Jacko Tort, you know, retired. Uh, Juan Pablo Cecino, he's obviously done the rounds a, a few times now, leaving. Bryce Haggerty uh, has moved back to Australia. Marco Van Staden uh, has gone to the Bulls. And, and whilst those players outside of Ford, Genge and, and maybe Moroni aren't necessarily, you know, the kind of key players in the squad, it is representative of, of quite a lot of, you know, talented depth and, and rotational players that's actually... Uh, have acted as a bit of a foundation piece for, for Leicester last year. The reason why Leicester was so good last year was because their, their squad quality was top to bottom. But when you're losing genuinely world-class players who are in career-best form in George Ford and Ellis Genge, it's always going to be difficult to replace them. That being said, they've, they've not done a bad job of it. And you look at their incomings, and uh, again, you could argue they've done some of the best business of, of the off-season. Uh, Andre Pollard has come over from Montpellier to replace George Ford. Uh, Phil Cockenasiga, uh, obviously a very highly talented prospect from London Irish, yeah, brother of Joe, of course. Jimmy Gopperth, uh, who at 43 or however old he is, is still doing the business or had been doing the business for Wasps. A really savvy signing that, that can obviously play back up, uh, fly half or 12 as, as needed. Anthony Watson, the, another big ticket addition from uh, from Bath. Um, and really interestingly, Joe uh, Talfete, uh, a former World Rugby nominee of the, sorry, World Rugby Player of the Year nominee, uh, who you might have known from his time at Worcester, uh, Leon, um, and of course playing for the American Eagles at, at an international level. A very talented player and a, a really savvy pickup by Leicester. So what's really going wrong for Leicester at the moment? Well, the problem is uh, that they are really really struggling for consistency. One week they've been fantastic. The other week they've they've been pretty poor. There's no shame in losing to Exeter and Saracens at home. But the manner in which they got beat on on Saturday to Saracens was eye-opening, conceding seven tries to a Saracens team, admittedly, who look in in very good nick. Um, And unfortunately for Leicester, you go up and down the, the team sheet from... Um, uh, from Saturday. And it isn't a case of, oh, well, they're missing six or seven of their, their best players. When you go even just through the back line, Freddie Stewart at 15, Anthony Watson at 14, Cockenasiga at 13, Gopper at 12, Murray, Murray Valu at 11, Freddie Burns at 10, and Ben Young's at nine, with Jack Van Porfleet, Andre Pollard, and Chris Ashton coming off the bench, it's indicative, well, it's a testament to the squad that Leicester have been able to build over the last couple of years. But it is a little bit concerning that maybe they aren't gelling as quickly as they, they uh, could be. And actually, the losses of players like Ford are being felt already, given their inconsistency. That being said, this is still Leicester. And they are a formidable beast, particularly uh, at home at Welford Road. So with that all being said... Um, Alex, I, I guess, you know, my question for, for you is um, what does Sale need to do to, to beat this this Leicester team who, in addition to all those players, will, will also be getting Julian Montoya, one of the uh, players of the TRC this year, back as well? 
I think it's very it's a very similar game to Exeter in that you know winning the battle up front will be crucial. It's not, I suspect, not going to be one for the uh, casual rugby fan. This it's going to be one for the purists, which Exeter was to an extent, to be honest. Um, you know, we went down to Welford Road last season, and I think I've heard Leicester players describe that as one of the toughest games of their season, just in terms of physicality. And don't forget, we went there with a pretty weakened team. We were missing a lot of players. Um, you know, if we front up, I think, and and bring that physicality, I think we can dominate this Leicester team up front. And that kind of is the key to winning the game for me. Um, you know, I think the back lines are relatively evenly matched. There's equality in both. Um, we've obviously got Manu going back to Leicester, which will be um, quite a... He's, he's done it before already, obviously, but it's still quite an emotional one. Um, so I'm sure there'll be... You know, a bit of chat in that arena. We've obviously taken George Board off them as well. But it, up front is where the battle is for me on this one. And Leicester have still got a really strong pack. They've got a lot of young talent, a lot of young English talent as well. Um, and they're almost reverting back to that. You know, this is a, lest we forget, this is a team coached by Steve Borthwick. The, the, what they're going to do is win the battle up front. They're going to be strong at the set piece. And then they're going to earn the right to score tries through that. Luckily, that's I think that plays to our strengths to an extent, and we've kind of done the same. So it'll be a really interesting matchup. But yeah, the, I think the physicality is key, and if we can win that battle at set piece, especially, I think is going to be important. Um, and just that physicality in defence that that we brought against Exeter. If we bring that again, this is a massively winnable game. But. That said, I think it's a really difficult challenge. It's away from home for a start. It's a Leicester team that have shown they can score points. And, you know, what they've done against other teams is when they've been able to dominate them in, in the collisions and they've then kind of run away with the, the scores. And you, I think you look at the flip side and that Saracens game, Saracens kind of did that back to them. And you see in that the teams at the top of the league at the moment, Saracens, us, Exeter, play in a similar fashion where... You know, we it's not exciting free flowing rugby. That's what Quinns do, and, and Quinns are up there, obviously. But the league seems to be going that way. Of you need a big pack, you need to be physically dominant. And everyone talks about us as just being a big pack and not much else, which is fine for them to keep saying. It was true last season. I think we've added a bit more nuance and subtlety to our game, but it it almost comes to actually let's play on that strength and and let's go that way because. You know, Alex Hansen's first game in charge was away at Leicester, I think, wasn't it? And we won. And, you know, that the DNA of this team is set up to beat Leicester, I think. Um, so, yeah, it, to me, it's more of the same. It's I, it's hard every time you win, you sort of go, well, what can we really change? Um, but there's definitely going to be a big challenge for Joe Carpenter, assuming he starts again at fullback, up against the best fullback in England, Freddie Stewart. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how our tactics sort of build in Stuart's strength under the, the high ball because we have gone this season to a sort of tactic of when we're in our half, we box kick it out. And it's a really good... Our exits have been really good this season. But when we've had success against Northampton and Exeter and, and Bath to an extent of putting it up there, challenging for it and profiting off mistakes. I don't think we're going to get that with Stuart. I think he's going to be all over it. Um, so we'll need to, we'll probably need to tweak that. But I think 
it is going to be a heavyweight clash. It's going to be like that Exeter game. I was saying the, the intensity you get in some of those collisions is international level. It's going to be that again. Um, we obviously have a full week turnaround, so that is helpful for us. Um, and it's just we go with the freshest, most physical eight in the front, in 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 the forwards we can go for. And I think the back line is pretty much picking itself at the moment. So that's probably where I land on it. Have you you got any thoughts? Would you uh, like to see us just chucking it out the back and uh, going wide? Or do you think it's up front that this game will be won? No, I, I agree. I think it is up front because actually you look at the, the Leicester lineup, um, you know, Stewart, Nandolo, Kokonasiga, uh, they just have big ball carriers all over the field. And actually that means that they are going to play rush defence. They are going to get in your face. And actually we're, we're probably not that well equipped to deal with that with the likes of Sam James at 13. Joe Carpenter obviously at, at 21 is growing into his, his his body as a professional rugby player. They, they've got a lot of power in that back line. And I think actually trying to match that by running around them is going to be a very difficult tactic because if you can't run around them or if you get caught behind the game line, then you're really going to struggle to build that forward momentum that you need to employ, you know, that that sort of free-flowing style. I think, unfortunately, this is going to be a game where having a top-class 10 is going to dictate it because it is going to be like a almost like a mini-test match. And obviously, it's going to be the biggest test of, I think, Rob Dupree's credentials as part of this new-look sales side as well, which is with George Ford, you've got somewhere someone who obviously um, is able to marshal a big forward pack around, is able to dominate the game from a tactical perspective. But with Leicester, you know, you've got Andre Pollard, who does the exact same thing for South Africa for the last five years. You've got Freddie Stewart, who negates pretty much any advantage you can get through the air from box kicking. It's going to be a massive test to see what Sale can do. And I think as a result, Sale are smart to look at trying to control the game up front, trying to minimise the amount of ball that, that um, uh, Leicester have. And ironically, maybe not play territory because you don't want to be getting into a kicking battle with Pollard and, and Stewart when you've got Carpenter and, and Dupree as your 10 and 15 in in, in, um, in response. It's all about keeping the ball uh, up the jumper, um, managing possession rather than territory and ultimately you know, trying to give whatever less to give you. There will be opportunities. And, and to be honest, I'm very keen to see the Currys uh, roll out again. Uh, because of their ability to play both as physical ball carriers and, and as link players. Um, I think Johnny Hill and Cobra's Visa go again because they give you so much stability um, at the at the set piece. And obviously Visa as well is, is a little bit more dynamic around the park. And I think, you you know, you go with, um, you know, Aka van der Merwe, who's so good at that in-close game, um, you know, playing the ball, you know, very tight, but also being able to, you know, slip off tackles and, and break the game open. It has to be a really sort of controlled, structured game from from Sale. And it is interesting that I'm, I'm, I say that, but I'm not doing the obvious evolution of that, which is about dominating territory and kicking lots. It's actually about trying to keep as much of the ball as possible rather than trying to spin it out wide um, and, and try and get round that Leicester team. Um so with, with that all being said, you know, are there any selection changes that you'd make ahead of, uh, ahead of this one? I don't think so. No, I mean, Bevan Rod came off the bench, so he might push for, for starting, but Simon McIntyre has been really good. Um, and other than that, I think, as I say, backline's picking itself these days, isn't it? Um, so, no, I think don't change a winning team, go again. 
Well, there is obviously an opportunity here for sale. Leicester are inconsistent at best at the moment. Um, so with all that being said, Alex, a mini test match, Welford Road on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, which way do you see this one going? I am feeling confident because we're five out of five. I think it's a really tough test, but I back us to continue our strong starts this season. So I'm going to say sale 18, Leicester 15. It's going to, it's, it's going to be intense. It's not going to be an enjoyable game to watch, but hopefully we have got the mentality at the moment and the physicality to win this one. Uh, I, I'm going to have to, to disagree. I, I think Leicester have this one at home for for a start, even with an inconsistent start to the year. I just think the experience and ability that they have at 9, 10 and 15 is, is significantly further ahead than than where Sale are at the moment. As much as I've been impressed by Gus Wall, Joey Carpenter, and obviously Rob Dupria, I think when you can roll out Ben Young's, Andre Pollard, and and, uh, and Freddie Stewart as your 9, 10, and 15, that makes a massive difference. And I think that's going to be a key area where Leicester are going to be able to squeeze Sale, even if the forward packs can probably play each other to a draw. Does it change your mind if Andre Pollard went off injured in the Saracens game? Uh, well, when you've got Freddie Burns, who I would argue is obviously not quite as good a player, but is still a very experienced a game manager at Premiership level. Yes, I, I do agree. And also, um, I, again, it, it's all about what. Whilst even if Rob Dupree and Paul and um, Burns play each other to a draw, I still back the options that Leicester have at nine and fifteen versus. Um, what what sale have at this moment in time? Things might look very different when uh, when Rafi Quirk and George Ford are playing for sale in a in a couple of months' time. Uh, so that's the pod for this week. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone who listened to our midweek pod, and, and thank you to everyone who sent in three word reviews. It's great, obviously, off the back of such an important win for sale to see so much engagement on our, on our Twitter feed at least um, and so that's the pod for this week Alex before we wrap up is there anything else that you want to you want to make mention of uh, I don't think there is I don't think we've talked about congratulations to Sales Shots women who beat Wasps in the cup the other week um, I'm not sure if that was before or after our last pod but um, yeah it's a good result in that one after losing the first one um, and no I don't think there's anything else other than to say if you do see any uh, newspaper headlines that are weirdly not congratulating Sale for winning games or at least you know not acknowledging that Sale might have had something to do with them winning a game then please send them in because uh, that thread I, I see a lot of potential in that uh, Twitter thread so yeah that's everything from me amazing well contribute to Alex's uh, Twitter vendetta uh, pull for a pull for a win for the boys on Saturday and uh, we'll catch up with everyone next week <laughs>